Hey, hey, Podnotians. Welcome to Linux for the Rest of Us, episode 234. 234. I'm not a numerologist, but I really do like that number, 234. Uh, this is a podcast all about Linux for the newbie or for the vet. Uh, this episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Matthew Fuzzle. Uh, Matthew, I cannot exclaim enough how much you've supported Podnet throughout the years. Um, you, this Patreon started back 2017 to uh, uh, patreon.com slash podnuts. Thank you very, very much, Matthew. If you would like to support this podcast directly, links in the notes. I'm going to shut up talking about that now. I'm also going to shut up and just so I can say, hey, hey, Bruce, how's everything going? Tor, I got to tell you, I'm on fire this week. We'll go more into that in a little bit, but I got to tell you, if you want to buy American, I might just say don't. I am very interested yet worried. Um, I will say in my Linux world this week, um, I've actually had a little bit of fun. Um, I installed another Linux distribution on my like normal daily driver laptop, which is, you know, an eight year old Lenovo, which is still rocking good. Um, I did a little tinkering on my main rig down here in the basement. And I will say I'm really happy with some of the things I'm seeing in the Linux uh, app ecosystem, except for the official launch of Microsoft Teams now installable on Linux. <laughs> you and I actually must be kind of on the same page here because I got a little bit, uh, um, I got this sort of restless leg syndrome, I guess. Uh, I moved on to another distro. I've been using CentOS 8 for, for you know, since it out, and, uh, you know, I, I was so indifferent to the OS and some of the little minor tweaks that I had to adjust to it. And, you know, it's it's not earth shattering. It's not awful. It's what it is. It's a, a great distro. I love it, but I wanted something a little bit different. So this week I moved on to MX Linux and I have to tell you, I love it. It's it's rock solid. I love the package manager. Uh, putting everything I need on it has been has been great. My only single complaint, and it's in, again, it's a it's an easy non-showstopper, is uh, the uh, toolbar because a lot of the toolbar placements these days seem to want to keep things on the left-hand side. And quite frankly, I'd just rather go with a uh, a regular menu. And like I said, that's what I have set up. Gotcha, gotcha. And yeah, and I will say. I'm becoming less, I don't use the word dependent. I'm becoming less caring about the actual underlying operating system on anything I run. I really could care less whether it's an RPM distribution, an Arch-based system, Debian or Ubuntu. All I care about is the interface, that piece of glass between me and the actual OS. And as long as I can install um, i3 or Awesome, I don't care. Because I know I'm going to know how to use the computer as a computer. Um, um, I don't want to say that, you know, yeah, package selection, it kind of worries me a little bit. But I almost don't care about the version of an application I'm running either. Whether it be an office application, whether it be a browser application, whether it be an audio manipulator application, whether it be a streamer application, whether it be a chat application, whether it be an email application, whether it be a 3D printing slicing application, uh, whether it be a game application, I, I'm learning I really don't care about what version that I'm running as long as the damn thing works. But I'm in complete agreement because when I installed MX Linux, you know, you have your choices of desktops you can go with. Uh, and, um, you know, Cinnamon, I love the Cinnamon desktop a lot. Uh, 
but when the day is done, so are a lot of desktops that I actually truly enjoy out there. Um, KDE, I need to maybe give a little bit more exposure because uh, it's been a long time since I last tried it. But um, one of the things that uh, I've, I, I, you're right. I'm becoming uh, Joe agnostic. I, I don't care because everyone gets the job done. I mean, when you look at the last ten years and how far all of these distros have come, I mean, I can't, I can't remember the last time I had a problem with an insular. I mean, the, everything is detected. A majority of the hardware that I have is detected. Um, no, actually, I can't say majority anymore. It's always detected. Um, my machines are three years old, and, you know, the fact of the matter is is they run at, at top performance like they're literally brand new. Uh, in regards to some of the software, you know, one of the things I like that MX Linux puts in their package management is – uh, not only will they give you what's in their, their repos, but they also have three other categories. And had I been smart enough to think we we're going to talk about this, I would have written them down. But one of them uh, includes uh, snap packages. And I got to tell you, these are game changers because you're right. The version I don't know much about. I mean, it doesn't have the latest and greatest. It just needs to work. And for me, my machine literally gave me... 20 minutes from start to finish. I got Audacity on there, FileZilla on there, um, and I was good to go. And I'm using Waterfox. So um, that's my experience for the week. Very cool. Now, I'll ask you um, – I don't know the answer to the question, but i got to ask you. you what well, you said, like the um, um, uh, software installer, the package manager, what I'm going to guess you mean is the graphical software store. Because I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, MX Linux is just a Ubuntu spin? Uh, off of Debian, actually. Ah. Um, but, so, oh, go ahead. You know, so I was going to say, so um, I'm going to guess you, the graphical software store is actually pleasing. And I will say this. We're old. Okay, We've seen the idea of a graphical software installer grow from synaptic package manager, which really isn't graphical, to being <laughs> truly, truly graphical interfaces, which I will say... I like it when they're done well, but I still don't find myself gravitating towards them. No. In fact, it's funny. With um, software packaging uh, for CentOS, the software center is actually really nice. I mean, uh, it fills in with the categories that you'd expect. You know, the usual suspects, productivity, and all that, uh, along with the ratings. And it's actually nice to see those kind of uh, package managers grow over time with a, uh, a really slick front end. But when the day is done, but I tell you, the machine that I'm working on, well, that I'm speaking to you on right now is actually Debian. And uh, Synaptic, say what you will, you know, uh, why use anything differently? Oh, dude, I literally, when I first install a Debian-based system, the first thing I do is I drop to a command line and say, sudo apt-get install, filezilla, um, any browsers I need, uh, Cupfer, um, you know, all, all of that stuff. But I also always add Synaptic just because if I need to actually research a package, it's just easier to do with Synaptic. Um, what I don't like about the software store is the same thing I don't like about going to a department store. The stuff closest to the door, the stuff closest to the entryway is the stuff they want to shove down your throat. I don't want the stuff that they want to shove down my throat. I want the stuff that I want. 
So most software centers have their preferred packages, their desired packages, the packages that they want to shove down your throat. So I'm not a fan of any gooey window dressing, pretty graphical type installer. To me, Synaptic is all the form and functionality of the Debian package manager put into a convenient windowed format. And I don't know any functionality that's lost when you go from the command line to Synaptic. Oh, not at all. In fact, the only minor thing I would say is that, and this is something that has plagued them since I remember first starting with them many years ago, is that um, upon first install, make sure you go into the sources and uncheck CD-ROM. It gets me every time. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and I will say um, MX, Linux, I will say anything based off Debian, the reason I would be comfortable running it is because I would feel pretty comfortable from first boot. If anything is mildly broken or broken, I at least have some competency to how to get to that final destination kind of thing. Um, I will say I am pleasantly shocked at how all, every single Linux has gotten so much prettier on first boot. I remember back in the days when you had these um, window managers like like OpenBox that really did look like something from the 70s. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're really functional, but graphically, they're not really too pleasing by default. And every distribution these days, it just looks so clean and pleasing. Well, as the commercial says, so easy, a caveman could do it. Yeah, and I definitely will agree with that. Um, and I will say the, just the thing, if you're running any Deb based system, Debian based system, or RPM based system, you can download the official Microsoft Teams application on your computer. Um, I really keep thinking to myself, self, there's going to come a time at my nine to five job where I can secretly install Linux parallel on my main desktop rig and install things like, you know, Microsoft Teams on it and get things done and be very efficient, but yet be using Linux at my job and not be forced to use a Windows desktop uh, application. And I almost feel like, and I hate to say this out loud, Bruce, I almost feel like I don't want my job to, in, to entail my passions because then I, I'm afraid it's going to take away from my passions and make me dread using them. You know, I've always looked at Microsoft as sort of the uh, the Thanos of RAM. You know, it's it seeks out your RAM and it eats it. Because once you start putting teams on there, uh, I hope you've got enough to get you through the day. Because any Microsoft Office product in general is going to make sure that it takes you, it cuts into you by 50%. Maybe that's overstating a little bit, but I got to tell you, those things are hogs. And, you know, if you need team to heat you up in the winter, run Teams, Office, and Outlook, and you'll be good to go. Yeah, I will say all Microsoft things seem to expect you to have a $3,000 computer. Um, and that's what I like about Linux. You can buy a computer today. You can install Linux today. You can literally use it for eight years and your experience will not really change. We're with Windows with all the service packs and all the patches and all the updates and all the upgrades. Your experience constantly gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, I, you know, um, I really don't enjoy at work 
when my new computer is starting to not feel like a new computer because I know now the count now like the countdown has started, I'm gonna have to complain and get a new computer. Yeah, and you know the thing is, I come from the Stone Age. I've always wanted a desktop because I refuse to carry a laptop. Me, um, I got overridden. I was actually surprised. Uh, so now I have a 15-inch uh, Dell 5190 or something like that. I don't care. But the thing is, is what I do care about is the internal guts of it because. The default is 16 gigs of RAM, which should be okay this year. But, you know, three years from now, uh, I don't install a lot of stuff because, uh, you know, my work machine, uh, let's put it this way, over the years I've become disciplined enough to keep work stuff off of, you know, on the work stuff, and I have my own side machine uh, at work to do the things that I need to. And starting next week, I'm actually introducing a Raspberry Pi into the ecosystem. I can actually teach the kids that are working for me a little bit about linux that's really awesome um and yeah i will say i've done the same thing um like back when i was now i'm gonna say 15 years ago 14 years ago 10 years ago um i had my boss kindly very very kindly come up to me and say steve um we just um initiated this new thing um and i just wanted to let you know that um, you know, we have like nearly 3000 people here, um, you know, at our organization and you're like the number one user of bandwidth and data out of everybody. And she was like, I, 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 um, you know, can I just ask, what are you doing with all this data? And I just said, you know, I'm just opening up YouTube and watching videos on how I can do my job better. Um, she said, I kind of figured you weren't really like messing around and like streaming music or anything. She said, um, I'll make sure that when your name's on the list that it gets deleted before it gets sent to the other executives. <laughs> oh, well, if that's, if that's a problem, see, that's why I like working in an educational institution. Nobody will ever come to me and tell me that. Yeah. She was unbelievably nice. And then, um, and then, you know, I grew and, you know, I got a cell phone plan and I got, a hot spot with my cell phone. So now on my mobile phone, every month I use 60 plus gigs of data because like you said, I have isolation and that's the thing. There's no such thing as privacy. There's no such thing as security, but you can isolate. So what I do is I make sure that on my work computer, there is never anything remotely connected to the word door door geek. It's just Stephen McLaughlin government employee. And then I, next to that computer, I have my other computer. Sometimes it's an Odroid mini computer connected to a monitor. Sometimes it's a laptop. Sometimes it's a Chromebook, whatever. And that's where I do my personal research, my personal finding, and my YouTube watching of educational content so I could do my job better. Um, it's about isolation. So, and if you, dare I say, because of that, it makes backing up stuff much less stressful because of my work computer, I don't really have to back anything up. I just save stuff on my network drive that I know is work-related, and then I'm fine. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think maybe at some point we need a spinoff to talk about um, enterprise stuff. Now, I know that our, our listeners, we usually gear this to non-enterprise. Now, one of the reasons why Microsoft Teams has come up is because uh, it's more about collaboration software. The idea behind Teams was um, 
in enterprise or at your work, there's always this um, uh, sore spot of trying to find an application that does it all, meaning a one point of contact. So you can post documents, you can post a slide deck, you can actually get people on real using either T. Uh, it was, uh, it's now Skype for business, but that's going away. It's going to be known as something else. It was previously known as Link, but the purpose behind all of this is trying to find a, uh, a collaborative piece of software that does it all. Now, from my experience, none of them at all, and none of them can do it all well. Microsoft is hedging their bets that this will be the showstopper that pushes all the other applications out. But I'm kind of curious for our our listeners who actually do collaborate on their own personal projects where they need to bring in three or four people, you know? Uh, what are you folks using uh, to help move things along? I mean, because uh, I'm curious about that kind of stuff. You know, enterprises, you know, they'll make suggestions, but I believe uh, I would say, without exaggerating, 90% of the stuff that's introduced into an enterprise atmosphere is done based on um, most of the people People have not really done their research very well. It's that they are sponsored by Microsoft to say, hey, here's what we're using. You should use it too. Yeah, that and they have uh, salesmen come into executive offices and promise everything. Um, and I do think you're right. It's about collaboration. Dare I say, if we could, you know, go through a time machine and right now present Google Wave to the open people people out on the public internet, it would be 10 times, easily 10 times more well-received than it was back in the day. Um, we have nothing in an open arena that we can host control ourselves that can do that 100% seamless collaboration of all voice, text, video, and audio. Um, I hate to say this, Bruce, I'm afraid a lot of people out there are literally using things like Facebook Messenger in order to like try to coordinate cooperation. You're correct in that. And one of the reasons why I had made a, a push to get a little bit more uh, exposure on Facebook is because of that. And, you know, I'm not getting any um, accusations one way or the other about, you know, folks in general and what they do. Uh, I think if anything, the, the real goal here is you know, when I know that when we were doing collaboration stuff in Linux Basics uh, back back a long time ago, you know, Mumble was a perfect way to actually uh, be real time because we literally had people from across the country, if not across the world, um, and we were using Etherpad at the time. And, you know, with those two items there, you largely could get a lot of things done with a minimal amount of fuss. And quite frankly, I'm not sure how much more you could improve on something like that. Well, I mean, the only, I'll say this, the only bad thing about Mumble is the onboarding process. The first time user setup is uncommonly painful. Um, I will say once everything is set up, it is sickeningly easy to use. Um, I'll say Mumble to me is the perfect example of an app that needs containerization more than just snap packages or flat packs or app images the install process isn't the painful part it's containerization i think would really help an app like mumble to where you could have defaults set so you i could say to bruce 
here, Bruce, connect to my Mumble server, download this container. And when you download this container, it's just going to use your default audio input, your default audio output, but it's all going to, but, but, but it'll already have everything already pre-configured to automatically connect to my Mumble server. Um, I have no problem in saying it like this. Mumble is the piece of software that I've used consistently now for over a decade. It seems to have the least amount of improvements, upgrades, feature creep, scope creep, and all that. But I'm not going to say that's a bad thing because the damn thing worked better than ever expected. And it still just flat out works. And I love to say this also, one of the upgrades it got was to use the Opus uh, codec on, on the back end. And I'm very happy to say the Opus codec has been proven now through time to be maybe the most efficient way to transmit non-music type data over a network. And I got to tell you, one of the greatest bits about this is that not only are we using minimal resources on our machine, but we're also using minimal uh, 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 with on such a thing like this. You know, and I don't understand. I mean, well, you know, everybody in this, it's sort of like an arms race to the kind of network connection have. You know what? This is just fine. And, you know, over the years, I like the fact that the minor changes have gotten better. Tell you the truth, if you want to take the best experience out of Mumble, upgrade the equipment that you're using. And that's literally, we're talking literally under $100 top, tops. Yeah, absolutely agree. And uh, and I'll say this, just a little tangent. You said you were going to install a Raspberry Pi. I will just say it like this. The Murmur server for Mumble is a perfect use case to put on a Raspberry Pi because it is so processor not intensive and resource not intensive uh, use case kind of thing. Um, and yeah, that's the one thing. It's like the analog loophole when it comes to Mumble. Yes, you can use your laptop mic. Yes, you can literally plug a pair of headphones into a mic port and use that as a mic. But if you spend under 50 US dollars, about 50 US dollars, you can get something that can really bring you incredibly close to sounding and like an actual professional. Oh, you know what? I just thought of this and we can probably schedule it for next year. So I know that somewhere you've posted in your myriad of posts over the years, um, uh, basic equipment. And, uh, you know, for example, I, I've taken your suggestion. I've got a Samsung uh, QX2, something like that. Uh, it cost me like 50 bucks. Uh, originally, I bought my first one for about 83. But as deals come across at this time of year, we want to try to... Anyway, uh, all, all Christmas garbage aside. Um, so I have that mic. I bought a mic stand, which is priceless for this kind of stuff. And get a really good one. Don't, if you can, try to avoid the uh, the um, you know tabletop one because you're gonna find you're gonna need that space for whatever. I eat a lot of food, and I don't want to be encumbered by a mic. So you know things like that and a USB connection. And I, I think you could get the whole package now, way under fifty bucks. Yeah, I will say tangent again. I literally got an email from Russ Winter, the techie geek, uh, my idol, I would say, um, less than 24 hours ago, asking me, he said he had a relative who's looking, who wants to do a podcast, what mic 
do I suggest? He, well, actually, no. He said, what, like, two or three things do you suggest that they have to have? Um, and one of the things I suggested, links will be in the notes, for the Samsung Q2U USB slash XLR dynamic microphone. Another small tangent. If you get a condensing microphone and you podcast, send me an email. I'll give you my address. You can come to my house and I can punch you in the throat. If you use a condensing microphone, you literally have a mental deficiency. Stop using them. You use a dynamic microphone. You use a condensing microphone when you're in a true studio area with sound dampening all around you and no other audio coming from anything. No sound, no hum, no buzz, no nothing. No clicking of a keyboard. That's when you use a condensing microphone. Otherwise, use a dynamic microphone. Grow up. <laughs> That's um, good to know. <laughs> but And the other thing I sent was a mic stand, and it's the um, articulating arm mic stand that connects to the desk clamped over like four to five feet away because the other thing i said was you want the base of the microphone to be as far away from your keyboard and mouse and computer so there's less chance of vibrations from clicking on a keyboard to come down through the keyboard through the table and up through the mic stand into the mic because it happened and yes if you find a sale you can get both for under 50 bucks and you can literally sound as good as anybody doing a podcast um it's not difficult and because of this time of year uh in regards to mic stands uh things like musician's friend they have usually have what they call stupid deals of the day and i got two uh, tripod stands for 10 bucks you couldn't beat it that is a really good price um i will say um the other like music place that i love to just uh, uh hang out in once in a while is sweetwater um, to me, they are like the Amazon of music. If there's anything music related, they will talk about it, discuss it. And so, oh. you know what? I love Sweetwater. I bought a Telecaster from them. I bought my uh, new Korg uh, keyboard from them. Uh, actually, I bought an amp from them. So, no, I totally agree. that they. I, I generally like things local, like I said, but... You know, then I had my uh, local shop try to rip me of $300. It's like, F that. I'm just going with Sweetwater for the rest time. And uh, I got to tell you, I just love the stuff. And, you know, again, the stuff comes to you in two, three days. How can you beat that? And payment plan. I am not a spokesperson. I just love Sweetwater. Yeah, they're definitely good stuff. Um, I also, like you, when possible, I want to buy local hyper local if possible i want to support the mom and pop shops who've been here at the same token i'm not a absolutionist which means the locals are also the people who can have the company store and drive people to their death in working so just because it's local doesn't mean it's good it just means it's local so if i can find somebody locally selling me this kind of thing i'll go there every time i can't and when i do it's a chain store where people behind the counter are obviously intoxicated or inebriated or something and they really can't talk straight so i'll rather just not talk to people and use a keyboard now last thing uh, i'll add to that too since we're very briefly talking about some music stuff um uh one of the things that i've been trying to do is uh set up a home recording because i i don't want to uh be held hostage by tools i'm not interested in uh, it's it's the best software you can get there's just no no uh arguing that they are the best i acknowledge that but i will not be a mac ever for that 
So I need alternatives. I came across uh, a, uh, a YouTuber, I believe his name is Unfa, who is a Linux user, and actually will go over the details on how to get a good Linux recording setup uh, for for music, guitars, the whole nine yards. Uh, I'll watch a couple more videos, and then next week uh, I'll circle back and make some suggestions with their, you know, with their YouTube home. It, it's certainly worth it. I do know that Clatu also wrote a magazine article for the exact same thing. So um, I'll grab those at some point, and those should be in the show notes. Very cool, very cool. Um, and I will say, now we're I'm mentioning things. One thing I should have mentioned like five weeks ago, and I forgot, and then something I was supposed to mention in the beginning of the episode, but I forgot. And if you don't like it, then I'll just say, stop listening. Go away. Go away. Stop complaining. Um, one, um, Klaatu did actually ping me and said, you know, thank you for not, thank you for thinking about, you know, not asking me stuff job related kind of thing, uh, because he doesn't speak for the company. Um, no, I never will put anybody in a position that they don't speak for themselves kind of thing. So he doesn't have to worry about that. Um, two, we don't have guests on this show, so don't worry about no nobody's coming on this show because i'm too tired too busy to worry about someone else's audio uh, every week no not doing it not doing it i mean ain't gonna happen um three uh i was kindly asked by ken fallon ken fallon is the workhorse behind hpr i'm not gonna say he's the brains behind hpr because there's a lot of brainy people i'm not gonna say he's the owner of hpr because hpr is not supposed to be owned by anybody I'll say he's the workhorse behind HPR and without any question, unbelievably nice guy, period. Um, I was asked by him uh, in in the most kind way I can say, if anybody listening to this show has experienced what they consider to be harassment, to please contact Ken Fallon. There will be a link in the notes directly to send him an email. Um, I will say to have a perfect ecosystem a utopia doesn't exist um, to, to expect there not to be bad things going on in every ecosystem. Um, that's like the definition of totalitarianism where you at the top believe you, you actually can control everything. Um, you're going to have problems. You're going to have issues. I actually kind of begged Ken to not ask me who these people are because I'm not telling you who they are because they never told me to tell you kind of thing. But instead, Work on watering your own flowers. Don't try to put this fire out. It's already burned to the ground. Just implement things in your own ecosystem where you have open channels and you semi-frequently ping, host, and ask, how are you doing? How do you think we're doing? Can we be improved upon? Um, Because that to me is much more important. I want HPR to be successful. I want them to be, you know, the biggest thing that ever happened to podcasting. Um, I also want them to be a friendly ecosystem for all kinds of people posting all kinds of content, which means they're going to post content that's going to make people mad or else. If if you think you can post content that's not going to make anybody mad and remain completely open, then I don't think you understand the definition of the word open. Yeah, that's actually a tough road to hoe, as they say. 
Um, there is no, no pleasing 100%. That's, that's just not possible. Um, it is unfortunate that that does happen in all mediums. You and I have actually personally experienced it in a couple of other, other ventures in the past. And I got to say, you know, the one constant is people will be people. I think the thing here is just take the best that you can run with it because, you know, you're one of the reasons why I enjoy doing what I do. Uh, Ken Fallon is another person. I I enjoy doing what I'm doing because he exists. He creates an outlet where people can freedom, uh, you know, have the freedom to express themselves. You know, there are some other people that are inspirational. Uh, Jonathan Nadu is one of them. Uh, you watch that guy struggle over the years just trying to land a decent job with somewhere where he goes on to pretty much disprove the, uh, the adage that you know, you, you want to make the workplace a completely, uh, you know, um, uh, good place to be by making all these, uh, um, I don't want to say, uh, well, I'm, I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say in a terrible way is that Jonathan is blind and very few uh, job sites actually accommodate the blind. No matter what they say, it's just uh, empty words because I've seen his battle from finish in a couple of places, even places where he was grossly overqualified. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, let's just bring this back to the point. You know, there are a lot of people out there that, that are worth the time and effort. And I think that, you know, like anything else, be a responsible internet citizen. Yeah, I mean, he is, yeah, Jonathan's cool. He, he already knows that. I, I can't say that anymore. Um, and, and I will say, just to close it out, freedom ain't free. Openness comes with a price. Somebody has to pay that price. Uh, freedom is means freedom of speech, for instance, means you have the right and the privilege to be offended because that's what it means. To not be offended means to limit speech. So you either have freedom or people will get offended. Okay. The question is, is can you m mitigate the responses from everybody? I don't know if that's even possible. Um, he actually can, did actually you know, like it put me in some kind of email newsletter message thread or whatever. I, don't know, I deleted the damn thing where he messaged a bunch of important people, uh, letting them know that this issue was happening. Um, good luck. I hope you find some answers, but I'm pretty sure the people you're communicating with would have already said something if they were aware of such a thing. Um, you're, uh, you're like screaming down an empty well looking for water. Uh, you have to go outside of that ecosystem. You know, if you only check planes that come back from the war, trying to figure out why planes are getting shot down, you're examining the wrong planes. But to, to digress, there was at least one link in the show uh, that I sent you, Bruce, that I honestly insisted that we talk about, and I'm going to throw you a curveball because it's not the one I said I wanted to talk about. It was actually the one from Lennox Gizmos, and it was the XXLSEC device. And it has a horrible name because this is Lennox, and we can't name anything correctly. Um, on another show, I pined, sorry, pun intended for you people who know, I pined on the fact that I despise people offering like literally $2,000 Linux mobile computers saying that they're privacy focused, you know, saying they're privacy focused is like a serial killer saying, well, I didn't try to kill people. You know, 
I don't care if you're security focused. I care if you're secure. Okay. This device on Linux gizmos, there will be a link in the note. It says secure comma open source Linux handheld has an ethernet port. Okay. Now let's quick stop. Security is a hard thing. I think for a lot of people to comprehend who are not in the game of security. Okay. Long story short, there's a thing in computing called ring zero ring zero is where everything happens and is trusted. There's no time for checks. There's no time for anything. Just run the damn code. Okay. A lot of devices, especially Android devices and iOS devices and Intel desktops and Intel, um, servers and everything have what's called binary blobs in ring zero, which means they're secretive black boxes of code that nobody knows what's going on, but they're in ring zero, which means they have complete access to everything. Yet we do not have complete access to it. Okay. The very first line in this article proves to me, whoever wrote this article actually understands how security works. And the first line goes, the XXLSEC open spec Proteus device handheld runs a security hardened Linux 5.4 based Prive OS without binary blobs on a IMX6 with one gig of RAM, eight gig EMMC, five inch touchscreen, 10100 Ethernet, and optional Wi Fi. This is the definition of a secure device. Okay. I don't care if you're security focused. I don't care if you're security curious. I don't, I don't care any about that crap. I care if you're secure and this device at least has the opportunity to be secure and it's literally running Linux. Now, unfortunately it looks like an iPhone from 2006. Which itself was a piece of software hardware. Right. But I really do like the fact that now me being a nerd without being pompous, being a knowledgeable nerd. I will have the possibility to have a device in my pocket where not only I have root, but I'm also assured that what is being ran on it does not contain binary blobs that I do not have the ability to inspect, which means I can have a device in my pocket that if need be, I can have the most sensitive of data I ever imagined on that device and have at least some assemblance of confidence that it's actually going to remain on that device unless I say otherwise. Now, I guess the two questions that come to mind are ultimately, uh, how much will such a device cost? And also, what does it look like in the future in terms of the OS platform? I mean, are we going to be held hostage to the same kind of uh, um, issues that we do with like the iPhone where, you know, you've got about two, three years before the OS gets old and no new, new software from there. Well, first, I'm sure this thing is going to be damn expensive. Second, I hate to say it, um, if it doesn't utilize what I call like the BMW Tesla model of purchasing, then it is not going to be supported for long. When you buy a BMW or Tesla, the initial purchase price also includes a certain amount of maintenance behind it. And, you know, I don't know if people realize this, but when you go to buy a Windows computer from a store, Part of that price where they call the windows tax, what that price is, it's for the future further development of patches and service packs 
and security updates and everything else wrapped into that price. So they're forward billing you for future things. Same thing with the BMW, same thing with the Tesla. This is going to have to do that as well, which means if you want to have a team of people constantly applying mainline kernel patches and doing other security related things and doing feature upgrades and then bringing in other operating system features or applications, um, it's going to cost a good amount of money. Um, I would honestly not be shocked if this is easily $600, if not more, uh, unless they truly believe they can get a team of people willing to do the work for literally like next to nothing. Um, I will say it also says it can have 4G support in it as well. Um, what I hope is this is the enthusiast model. This is the hobbyist model. And I hope it sells something, you know, a little bit, something. And it is nothing more than a research project enabling this company to do future products that are A, more aesthetically pleasing, B, just as secure, and hopefully C, a little bit cheaper. Because um, we all know the first version of anything never works right. The second version of something dies quickly. The third version of something is when they start to get things right. And by the fourth version or fifth version of something is when it actually becomes like mainline compliant. Now, unrelated, sort of related, um, are you going to put in for a uh, Pine phone? I honestly wish I could afford it, but I can't. Um, maybe at the end of January, I might be able to afford such a device. But right now I have to just uh, be like a sideline watcher and i will say i've seen more than a couple like youtube videos of like the development version of the phone and damn it looks exactly what like what i would want a lennox phone to look like but two i believe the price point is going to enable the hobbyist coder um it's going to enable them to just contribute to their heart's desire to just make it a more usable more functionable it, it interface. I think for a future show, we should consider a hardware one because there are some questions that I have that you're probably more in tune to uh, answering than some of the other people that I go out to for research. So let's uh, let's put that on the back burner. Gotcha, gotcha. And just a, another quick little side tangent. Uh, December 14th, 2019, um, like this device also says it has micro SD support. Dude, it is insane. You can get a top tier, the fastest micro SD card you can get one terabyte for less than $250. Um, I've seen sales in the last week for a 128 gig SSD. Uh, 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 I'm sorry, 128 gig micro SD card for less than 15 bucks. Um, these storage prices are just shooting down so fast. I now firmly believe that my kids and my kids' kids will never know what it means to run out oh, of this. You got that right. In fact, um, uh, I needed a key drive because, uh, well, who burns ISOs on CDs anymore or DVDs for that matter? Some of them are actually uh, bypassing a size that size limit anyway. But um, I went and bought two key drives, uh, both uh, fifty gigs for ten bucks. Yeah, they've literally gotten insane. Um, I will say, um, I've never heard of this company doing this Linux handheld computer. It's essentially a phone, but they don't want to call it that for some reason. Um, but I hope to hear them more in the future. And I'll say the operating system I've never heard of before either. So I'm at least interested on that one as well. 
Well, at some point, I'm going to have to hack tablet. Uh, it's a Lenovo A55 that is now five years old. And the reason why I say I have to hack it is because I can't get anything out of the Play Stores anymore. Um, the OS is long, is too old for it. And um, uh, now I have to resort to something to uh, upgrade the OS on it, whether it's a, an actual Linux OS or, um, you know, another form of, uh, you know, things like Ice Cream Sandwich or whatever those Android OSs are. But anyway, my problem, not yours. Well, it's, I'll tell you this, it's an constant, never-ending, ongoing problem for someone that's not comfortable with throwing stuff away and spending money on new devices. Um, there are solutions out there. None of them are going to meet all your needs is what I'll say, but they can at least get you part of the way there. Um, and I will say PriveOS, P-R-I-V-E-O-S. I'll just say this. They got my attention because of the device, but then I go to their homepage and what they say is, there are three like key features that they say about this operating system is node network. PriveOS operates on an independent node network, which adds solid privacy standards to your development stack. Okay. Number two, distributed key management. Distributed key management enables the delegation of your private data access to a smart contract that helps adopt purpose smart contract protocol. Number three. Secure computation, compute private data security in a decentralized way without leaking information to the middleman. Okay. That was a lot of lingo. That was a lot of like terms. Okay. What I'll say is this. Some of the people in computing believe the future of computing. Okay. We went from mainframe computers, then we went to desktop computers, and right now we're at like internet-based web computers. Uh, a lot of people believe one of the next possibilities in computing is true distributed computing. When I have a task to do, I will literally promote things that are close to me in order to help resolve my task in a seamless ubiquitous way that the user will never even know it's happening and be secure and let you own your own network and let you literally control your own data flow because it's all hyper local. All your computing is happening hyper local to you. Um, not only has it been the topic of a comedy series on HBO called Silicon Valley, which I will say, if you don't watch, it just ended the last show for good. And it's pretty damn funny. Um, but distributed computing in a secure fashion is the kind of thing that we users will have to force companies like Microsoft, force companies like Facebook, force companies like Microsoft, force companies like Amazon to adopt for them to be successful. And while it sounds to me impossible, like really, could we make those companies adopt private, scalable, distributable networks? And I think absolutely not, no way it would ever happen. But then I stop and think about all the things that we Linux people, open source people have gotten those companies to do already. And I think, hell yes, we can do it. I don't know how though. Well, it takes a movement somewhere because any company that's traded in, uh, you know, publics that require shareholders 
uh, maybe that's actually where you do it. You look at McDonald's. I know that they're the longest, you know, fast uh, food running place that I can remember. And they stay alive because they learn to adapt with the times. You know, they know that hamburgers have gotten them there, but now they're they're totally looking at uh, chicken sandwiches, pushing them to the next step. I don't see why this would be any different. Well, the the chicken sandwich thing I think is absolutely hysterical. Um, I remember because I listened to listen, it's not gonna lie. I listened to you know twenty four hours worth of podcast a day, whatever. I listened to ABC, CBS, CNN, Fox News, Rutgers, BBC, Sky News, um, Newsy, um, The Daily, um, Wall Street Journal, um, uh, Forbes, and I mean I can keep going on and on. Uh, Bloomberg, I can keep going on and on. I listened to that much news. I loved how eight months ago, all the fast food places were freaking out about, we need a competitive premium chicken sandwich. And it's like, it is like, to me, it is so funny that they literally, um, these franchise owners were screaming at the top of their lungs in these meetings. And now like all of a sudden we see literally fist fights and everything happening in American fast food places over quote unquote premium chicken sandwiches. Well, if that isn't funny, I'd like to know what is. I mean, America. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, one of the things I refuse to do is because this is this is the land of tea. I refuse to stand in line for anything, and a chicken sandwich is not going to do it. Yeah. Um. I will say also, I want to thank people for the emails. We did get at least one email I wanted to try to bring up really quick, Bruce. Oh, fire away then. Uh, Gregory Smith, uh, really, I'll say this really nice guy and I don't even know him. Um, I believe he did send one. Let me make sure of this. Let me mark as unread. Yeah. Yeah. He did send one email, uh, two links for the pet links for the rest of us. Uh, give me just one second to come over here. Hit copy paste because just in case, if you weren't aware, this is also being streamed to YouTube. Uh, so if you want to watch this, you can on YouTube. Um, just follow me and you can know when we go live. Okay. The email goes, guys, I've been getting rid of windows for quite some time. I've had Ubuntu or some Debian on my laptop for years. I do have a windows desktop that I need to keep for some of the applications I have for schoolwork. I have a think server, which with CentOS running Plex and a vast majority of my content is stored on a Buffalo NAS. It's working great. And any OS can mount it, but it's filling up and I need to add another NAS. But as I'm looking at it, it, oh, it, oh, it occurred to me that if a drive dies on the Buffalo NAS and goes bad, I will need to make use of the Buffalo software to rebuild it after replacing the drive. This only runs on Windows and Mac. For a new NAS, I need support software that runs on Linux. Do you guys have any ideas? Home NAS boxes? that uh fit this descriptions thanks greg's ps store i'm still waiting to buy you a beer and i am waiting for you to buy me a beer greg um i will say greg i swore i emailed you i'm i'm really sorry if i didn't we will have to because he lives like 20 minutes north from me we will have to sit down we will have to have a beer and we will have to talk about linux but i will say this bruce do you have any personal uh, beliefs about NASs or like home storage devices? None whatsoever, because now I play without a net. Well, I'll say this. I The only thing I don't like about a NAS is RAID. 
I despise RAID in every shapeware form because it's either hardware or software dependent, which means you always have to use these other things in order to organize or recover from a failure. So with that said, I just like just a bunch of disc setups where it's literally just a couple discs and it just appears like one disc. Um, my personal NAS of choice right now is literally a rock 64 computer with a couple USB hard drives hanging off of it. Um, I will say, uh, he also emailed mini PC show where other people will have much more, I'll say NAS type solutions that they're aware of. Um, there are boxes you can buy where literally you just buy a box and you just shove disc in and it works with any operating system and it's all self-sufficient. They cost a lot of friggin' money. Um, if power isn't an issue, Gregory, I'll say this, an old laptop or an old desktop sitting in the corner with a couple of drives connected to it will work just fine. Um, I would then encourage you to either use something like Amazon EC2, Google Storage, or Dropbox or something like that to have your local NAS being backed up to the cloud. Because if you're worried about drive failures, just imagine if your house catches on fire. Okay. That's why I'm now a firm believer. If you do have media on a storage array in your own environment and you care about it at all, you better back the whole damn thing up someplace else offsite. Actually, cloud storage makes perfect sense. Um, one of the reasons why I don't have a backup solution here at home is over the years, I've been frustrated with solutions that I did have in place. And when the time came to restore the data, the data is gone. Uh, and it could be for a whole bunch of reasons. I may have misread the um, uh, uh, the process to get saved. I mean, it could have been a whole bunch of things but my experiences with backups have been pretty bad and you know like i said if anything what i do is um every once in a while I'll get a copy of my uh my photos on a cd and you know that comes with its own you know the issues down the road but cloud storage it, where affordable actually makes sense because you know it's their hardware that can fail but they've got enough redundant servers there that they sh you shouldn't have to worry about it I think that makes perfect sense. And I'll say ring-a-ding-ding, -ding, you said the magic word, redundant, okay? And that's what I hate about RAID. It's the illusion of redundancy. Yet you are the administrator whenever anything just flicks and just you got to go and fix and address. Where when you do it in the cloud, they handle the redundancy, they handle the burden, they handle the liability. Now, I will say this. I like the idea of this, okay? Next cloud is a true enterprise grade storage device. I'm using these words very carefully. Next cloud is an enterprise grade storage appliance, okay? Which you can install on any desktop, any laptop, any Raspberry Pi, any Rock 64, any microboard computer of you fit, okay? After that, you can then do what's called a federalization, federalize, I think it's close. To where quite literally, I could have Bruce running an instance of NextCloud, having a device, having a drive, I can run a version of NextCloud, same version, and then I can say I want to federate my NextCloud to Bruce's NextCloud, and Bruce can federate his NextCloud to my NextCloud. And then we have redundancy to where half of my storage is given up to Bruce. Half of Bruce's storage is given up to me, and we rely on each other for redundancy. Now, the sad thing is I then rely on him and he relies on me. So if something happens to me, he's out of luck. If something happens to him, I'm out of luck. 
Um, so there are ways you can do it without having a big business behind it, but it definitely means you're much more of an a, a administrator. Now, that's interesting because wasn't that actually the concept uh, by the original Carbonite? I do believe it was Carbonite, and it was also... Oh, God, there was another one. Uh, okay, I want to say it wasn't Carbonite. It wasn't... Uh, it wasn't uh, uh, sync thing. Oh man, I, there was a company out there. I know that that was one of the things that you could do. You could say, "I trust you. You trust me. I don't even have to use your service. I'm using your application as a service." And then when my stuff got backed up to your computer, it was encrypted to where you couldn't even read it. And the same thing would happen on my computer. But I do believe that business did change their model about a year ago to where now if you use their service, you can only back up to their cloud. Now, I guess the real question is, is that why is uh, Striped still uh, a process or a thing? I mean, I get the mirrored, you know, redundancy, uh, um, but I will never understand Stripe un unless you are that sure your hardware will never fail. Yeah, I, I will say this. I like just a bunch of disk because it has the softest failing of any kind of array of disk. Everything else to me, um, you're I don't want to say gambling, but you're relying on your talents as an administrator to recover data. Okay, Bruce. Um, I will cut and be honest with you, Bruce. I forgot to hit go live on the stream. So most of the stream that got published is like only 20 minutes long even though we've been talking for about an hour but i did do local recording so anybody who wants to watch this on youtube as soon as i'm done i'll upload a higher quality uh, uh recording of the video um i'm not sure there's any other links that i sent to you or that you wanted to uh bring up uh this week well there were the browser things that i was a little more prepared to talk about but you know what uh we can absolutely do that next week we've got we've got plenty of fodder for the upcoming weeks as it is well, and I will be honest with you as well. I didn't completely read that article. I do think the article title was a touch bit of clickbaity. I will also listen to other Linux podcasts like I do to see if somebody else actually brings it up and then talks intelligently about it. Like maybe Sunday morning Linux review, I'm thinking, is one of the people who might actually talk about this in, 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 in a very intelligent way. But we'll find out. Um, and I will say, you know. We have plenty of things. We always have things to talk about. Uh, if you have topics you would like us to talk about, do not hesitate. Uh, in the notes, we will have links to Discord server. If you want to be on the Mattermost server, again, it's a very private, intimate, locally sourced, uh, a, a homegrown kind of uh, a, a GMO-free ecosystem where we can come and have private conversations. Um, if you want to send us a, a email, it's very easy. Podcast at Linux for the rest of us. Uh, or you can send me an email directly at doordoorgeek at gmail.com or mail at podnuts.com, or you can just go to podnuts.com, click contact link. Again, if you want to support us, podnuts.com, um, set there, you can click on support and you'll be redirected to patreon.com slash podnuts. I want to thank everyone for downloading. Thanks everyone for their emails. Thanks everyone for their support. Uh, I want to thank Bruce again for coming out. I do want to say, I love getting emails from Russ Winter, the techie geek. I honestly, I really do like getting emails from Ken Fallon as well, just because I know he's such a nice guy. Um, I really want to encourage everyone. Do not forget and never, ever forget. Freedom is not free. Uh, if you want to have ownership and control over your own network, you also must then become an administrator of your own network. Like the people who bought the ring doorbell found out this week. 
I digress and never ever forget if you do not have root on everything and everything around you then you really do not know who does and I want to thank everyone again we'll talk to everyone again next week